The Institute of Art and Ideas is excited to announce Closer to Truth as an official partner for our upcoming How the Light Gets In Festival at Hey on Why, happening this year, May 24th to 27th. Closer to Truth examines humanity's deepest questions with the world's greatest thinkers, from Nobel laureates and renowned scientists to theologians and best-selling authors. For 20 years, Closer to Truth has explored the deep questions of cosmos, consciousness, and meaning. This year, host Robert Lawrence Kuhn journeys to new depths with their philosophy of biology season, exploring topics like evolution, race, alien intelligences, sex and gender, and much more. Get early access to full episodes from this brand new season by registering for a free membership at their website, closertotruth.com. Discover the fundamental issues of existence, engage new and diverse ways of thinking, and seek out your own answers with Closer to Truth. Thanks for listening to this Institute of Art and Ideas podcast, bringing you philosophy for our times. Here at the IAI, we're committed to taking philosophy out of dusty books and lecture halls and into the heart of public life. If you enjoy this debate and want to carry on the discussion, or watch over a thousand more debates and talks on all the latest issues in philosophy, science, politics and arts, visit IAI.tv. Remember to subscribe and review on iTunes. So good morning, everybody, and welcome to our debate on playing dice with the universe. God does not play dice, Einstein famously argued. But if you look at modern physics, playing dice and randomness enters in at the heart of our description of what things are happening. So does this mean that the universe is unknowable, even to itself? Or, as Einstein argued, is this view misguided? And is the universe out there waiting to be discovered? There's a lot to cover in this debate. And joining me to help uncover the answers, let me introduce Chiari Mar Marletto, quantum computational researcher at the University of Oxford, who works with David Deutsch on the constructor theory of information. Michael Duff, Abdus Salam Professor of Theoretical Physics at Imperial College London, who's a pioneering theorist of supergravity, and Peter Cameron, award-winning mathematician who frequently engages the public in how to think like a mathematician and who has an Erdos number of one. So the format of the debate is as normal. Each of our speakers will have four minutes to put forward their viewpoint on whether God plays dice in the universe. And then we'll move on to the debate proper. So, Chiara, can we start with you? Does God play dice? Well, yes. Well, let me say um, um, that actually Einstein didn't uh, mention the universe, nor playing dice, nor even God in his you know, original statement. He, I take it he back. mentioned <laughs> you know, this Der Alte, which is the old man, which uh, is a kind of jocular way to refer to God. Um, but apart from this, so let me try to rephrase the question as um, what Einstein, I think, should have meant, uh, is something like, can a fundamental theory of reality um, include probabilistic statements? Um, and uh, my answer is that it can't, and although probabilistic theories can be helpful models for predictions, etc., but they can't tell what is really out there in reality. And the reason is that a probabilistic statement about you know, a die being thrown and uh, you know, the probability of seeing one being, say, one over six, 
is um, a statement that doesn't really say anything about factual properties of reality. Because in order to explain what that means, you have to think about throwing the die infinitely many times or considering an infinite set of experiments which are never going to be you know, realized in reality. And so there's a problem with probabilities that was advocated by David Papino, actually, uh, quite powerfully. And um, so how are we going to mm, you know, reconcile this with quantum theory? Well, quantum theory doesn't put um, randomness at, it, at its core. Uh, quantum theory is a deterministic theory where the uh, state of the universe uh, at one time is connected to the or, or system uh, at one time is connected to only one uh, state in the future, and that's what determinism really is about. And um, it's also a theory where there is unpredictability, but unpredictability is the impossibility of predicting an outcome. And in order to talk about that, you don't need randomness either. It's just the impossibility of building a machine, a predictor. And again, quantum theory does this all the time. So I mean, it also forbids uh, things like cloners, copying machines to, to occur on any kind of set of states. So at this point, though, um, the founding fathers of quantum theory, um, you know, to make sense of what happens in repeated experiments when there is this unpredictability, introduced randomness as a model. But um, turns out that, uh, well, in the, one, I mean, the first place, this, this rule that they introduced, which is called the Born Rule, which gives the probability of an outcome, only applies to a restricted set of uh, cases and doesn't apply to the overwhelming majorities of experiments that you can perform in quantum theory. And in the second place, it was also a bit misleading. Um, it refers to this collapse of the wave function. And finally, it's uh, unnecessary, and that was only discovered later because uh, there's a way of uh, mm, accounting for the expectations that an experimenter should have about what happens in an experiment by assuming a non-probabilistic axiom plus the deterministic uh, part of quantum theory. And therefore, that's a deterministic account of what's out there in the reality, and I think Einstein would have been perhaps happy about that. Okay, thank you. Mike, what are your views? Well, the arrival of quantum theory at the beginning of the last century was a radical departure from the deterministic clockwork universe of Isaac Newton. According to the Newtonian view, if we knew the speed and position of every particle in the universe, we could predict the future, at least in principle. Now, quantum mechanics put a stop to all that According to the traditional interpretation of quantum mechanics, the so-called Copenhagen interpretation, developed by Niels Bohr and others in the 20s and 30s, we cannot predict with certainty the outcome of any experiment. The best we can do is to assign a probability. So, for example, let's suppose we have an experiment with two possible outcomes, call them A and B, and we know that the probabilities of A is 70%, let's say, and B, 30%. What that means is if we perform the experiment 100 times, then A will happen roughly 70 times, and B will happen roughly 30 times, but we cannot predict any individual outcome. Now, this is not because of any defect of the apparatus or any lack of knowledge on our part. It's the way nature is. 
uh, we don't need to apologize for this. Uh, this view has survived a hundred years of rigorous theoretical and experimental scrutiny. So my view is if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Now, um, it gives rise to unusual uh, states of affairs, of course. There's the famous Schrodinger paradox where the cat can be 70% alive and 30% dead at the same time. Because, uh, again, according to the traditional view, the two possibilities, A and B, coexist until we choose to make a measurement on the system. And it's the very act of making that measurement that forces the reality to be either one or the other. And that's what, what Schrodinger was highlighting with his cat that was both alive and dead. Now, some people are, are dissatisfied with this interpretation. Again, I don't think this dissatisfaction uh, extends to a disagreement with experiment. Every experiment that's ever been performed is perfectly consistent with this traditional view. It's rather a discomfort that people feel with the notion of uncertainty. Uh, one example of this was Hugh Everett in the 1950s. He didn't like this idea of um, uncertainty, and he proposed that at each moment of measurement, the universe splits into two. One in one universe, outcome A happens. In the other universe, outcome B. And so as we proceed, there are infinitely branching of many, many different universes. Now, not everybody liked Everett's interpretation. And in fact, the main objection was that it was just that, an interpretation. He wasn't changing the predictions of the theory. If we want to calculate the spectrum of the hydrogen atom or the decay of a radioactive nucleus, both approaches would give you the same answer. And that's the weakness, in a way, of the alternatives. Unless, according to a physicist, unless your theory is giving you different experimental predictions, it's not worth drawing any distinction between the conventional theory and your interpretation. If it's just a matter of interpretation, that's of no consequence. What matters is the prediction. So my view, I suppose, would be the stick-in-the-mud view that the theory we have is doing very nicely. Thank you. <laughs> Peter, how about you? Thank you. Well, I guess it's fairly clear already that this debate is going to be mostly about quantum theory, but I would like, if I could, to just set it in a slightly wider context. Um, in former times, people thought of random events as being gods expressing their will or taking action in the world. And I was brought up rather sharply reading uh, Dante's Inferno. He has a line in there, for luck your science finds no measuring rods. In other words, he is saying in the 13th century that there is no theory of probability. And indeed that was true at the time. Um, now we do have a theory of probability and from a mathematical point of view, it's a very successful theory. Um, it cannot, as Mike said, predict the, the outcome of an individual event, but it can make very strong statements, not just that if the chance of something happening is 70%, then it will occur about 70 times in 100, 
outcomes, but it will give you the distribution as well. What deviations from 70 are, are likely to occur and how unlikely it is to get a large deviation. And uh, the success of this is uh, well exhibited by, let's say, the insurance industry. You cannot predict whether I'm going to die in the coming year unless I happen to have a fatal disease whose prognosis is well known. But the insurance industry can continue to make money because it can say very accurately how many people in the population are going to die in the next year. On the other hand, when you come to the finance industry, who use similar probabilistic tools, look how badly they let us down in 2008. And why did that happen? It happened because this perfectly serviceable mathematical theory was there. They used it without checking that the assumptions were correct. And I think that's one of the problems with applying probability to the real world. So, for example, uh, it is said that there are two places in which probabi probability randomness comes into the physical universe. Uh, one is quantum theory, about which I won't say very much because uh, we've heard quite a bit already, but uh, the other is um, chaotic dynamics. Uh, you've all heard of the butterfly effect, I suppose. Very small uh, changes in the initial conditions can cause huge changes somewhere down the line. But that is fine from a mathematical point of view, but it does assume that arbitrarily small changes are possible. And if the universe is not like that, if it's granular or atomic in some way, then chaotic dynamics no longer works because it has at, at its absolute basis and foundation that the world is infinitely divisible. And probability theory also makes that assumption. Probabilities can be any real numbers. They can be infinitely divisible. And so I must admit I have a little bit of doubt about whether um, these mathematical theories can apply at a fundamental level to the real world. The debate. Theme one. Thank you. So that, that's, that's really interesting. So we've, we've heard that probability has no place in reality, uh, if I can paraphrase you. I hope it's not incorrect. You can correct me otherwise. And that randomness is a model for unpredictability rather than anything else. We, we've heard that probabilities and randomness are a fundamental part of our description of the world in quantum mechanics. And we've heard from Peter that although the theory of probability is well established, our actual assumptions and ability to apply it to the universe may be questionable. So let's explore all these different viewpoints. And I'd like to start by probing our initial understanding of what makes things change. Let's start there. and discuss how we think things change, by what mechanism, and then we can go into where randomness comes in and what it implies. So, Chiara, can I start with you by asking you the question, why you think things change? How do they change? Well, uh, I mean, that's a question actually touches on randomness only, I suppose, at the end of a sort of uh, reasoning. Because, of course, the first thing that comes to mind when thinking about change is uh, time. And uh, time is this entity that we haven't actually got um, a handle on yet, um, in that uh, it is a problem both actually in uh, quantum theory, because it's not an observable, um, and also in general relativity. It's an object which uh, appears to be uh, slightly anomalous with respect to the other objects of the theory. And uh, now, in explaining what uh, time is about, 
and uh, you know, unfolding of the universe in time. Uh, randomness doesn't really necessarily come in. And in fact, there are proposals within quantum theory to make sense of the emergence of time, which are based on notions such as entanglement, etc., which again can be explained within the deterministic picture that I was advocating uh, early on. And there's another uh, reason why my, you know, one might think of things changing, which uh, touches on the second law of thermodynamics, um, which is about, uh, you know, the idea that um, there are certain irreversible processes occurring in reality. And although there are ways of formulating the second law which are based on probabilities, I mean, statistical mechanics, uh, famously, uh, again, I would say, if we want to have a, a fundamental explanation of what's going on, we should try harder and understand um, in a deeper way what that is about. And uh, so I, I would say that those are the two um, you know, places where I would start the discussion on why things happen. So in, in, in terms of understanding how things go from one state to another state, say? Well, that's, you know, we, we usually have a dynamical law for that. And the, the dynamical law is something that uh, connects something that happens at this time to what happens to the next. And of course, there are two ways in which this can happen. One is that uh, there is only one future state, and that's determinism. And there is another way, which is the probabilistic way, which says that there are a number of future states. And um, um, as I said, if you want to give an account of what's really going on, you've got to explain when you say that something will probably happen, what you mean by probably. And um, you can't get out of the statements in terms of probabilities. So you keep explaining probabilities in terms of probabilities and so <laughs> on. I would like to see an explanation of probabilities which is decomposed in something that doesn't use probabilities or doesn't use infinity, uh, in infinite things. And uh, apparently we don't, we don't have that. So, Okay, M Mike, over to you, because <laughs> do we need an explanation of probabilities? How do things change? Well, when I looked at the program and tried to answer the question, why do things change? I found that the most difficult question uh, to be presented with. And um, as a theoretical physicist, he's like the petulant child. Why, why, why? That's how you <laughs> uh, proceed. And if you can't answer a question in the abstract, you often start with, well, let's pick a, take an example. And if we understand that, maybe we'll... So I asked myself the question as a concrete example. Why does day change into night? So why, why, why? Well, of course, the Earth spins on its axis, and when it's facing the sun, it's day, and when it's facing away from the sun, it's night. So the next question is, why is there an Earth, and why is it rotating? And uh, why is there an Earth? Well, that was because in the evolution of the universe, there was the formation of the solar system, and it was formed with things spinning around, and in particular, the Earth, planet Earth was spinning around its own axis as it went around the Sun. But why did that happen? Again, the petulant child, why, why, why? Well, ultimately, of course, you have to trace it back to the Big Bang. So the reason I said to myself that day turns into night is because the Big Bang created the matter out of which the solar system is formed, 
but it was also created with certain laws of nature, which uh, we also uh, heard of a moment ago, dynamical laws. And for example, the, the law of nature that says angular momentum has to be conserved, and that's just as well because that's what ensures the Earth keeps on spinning for many billions of years to come, which is reassuring. So in the end, it's the Big Bang and the laws of nature that were created at the moment of the Big Bang that determine why things change. And from that point of view, uh, night will follow day just as sure as day follows night. Okay, uh, so I, I, I agree that ultimately everything can be traced back if you ask why <laughs> enough to the Big Bang. But, but let, let, let me give you the same um, question that I, I gave Chiara. How do things go from one point to another point without going back to the Big Bang? because there are dynamical laws, which I repeat, were determined at the Big Bang, <laughs> which persist to this day, and according to those laws, tell us how things will evolve. Uh, Newton's law will tell us that the apple falls down and not up, and things like that, but the, the law itself, why is that law and not some other law, can only be traced back to the creation of the universe. Okay, so you're, you're both in agreement about the deterministic nature governing why things change. Let me bring in Peter at this point. What are your views? Well, um, why do things change? Um, why, why do we have to explain why things change? There was an American <laughs> orator in the 19th century whose name was Everett, I think, who said something like, the stars go on their way like the blessed gods. Um, he didn't seem to need a law to explain it. And you might say that general relativity explains that very well because the stars are simply moving along geodesics in space-time. Um, and uh, we have dynamical laws to, uh, so we can look at the clock and say, oh yes, it's got that far in such a time. But um, um, I think Kiara is absolutely right. You can't talk about change without first sorting out time. And that is one thing that we're having a lot of trouble doing. Um, uh, and if, if time didn't exist, if the universe just simply had a collection of states and we found ourselves in one or the other according to some process, um, then we'd have to ask different questions. So I really have no serious answer to this question at all, I'm afraid. I don't know why things change. Maybe they just feel like it. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> which, is, which is a statement of a problem, so it's a, it's yes, a, it's, you know, yes. it's a promising point. Yes. We've got to you know, think harder. So I, no, I think this is a really important point. So just asking why things change is, is ill-defined from that point of view. You know, we don't have a good understanding of, of the, the nature of time to define the, the difference between points. You won't change your mind. <laughs> <laughs> That's my prerogative. <laughs> Okay, so let, let's, let's take this as our starting point, then, that... Uh, I just want to shift it. There's an element also about memory. I mean, we notice that things change because we have memory, so uh, there's also a question of, um, you know, distinguishing between change which occurs in, uh, you know, nature uh, by dynamical laws and the perceived change, um, which we only notice because we have a long memory. We, if we didn't have one, then perhaps we wouldn't change, you know, we wouldn't notice anything changing, really. So... That's a very good point, and perhaps time also affects this as well.
Theme two. Maybe now, having established that we do or we do not need dynamical laws, according to our, our speakers, and that we haven't really defined the problem in the first place because we haven't defined time. Let me now start probing into the role of randomness in all of this, because we touched upon it in the introduction. And at least in quantum theory, depending on your point of view, randomness does seem to play a role in determining the outcome of a, of a situation. So what I'd like to ask next is, if quantum theory seems to indicate randomness, is that randomness an illusion, bearing in mind that we can see a distinct change when things happen? Peter, I'm going to start with you here. Well, yes. Um, Einstein went to some trouble to try and uh, construct a theory which would uh, essentially explain the randomness without needing to uh, bring in uh, God playing dice, or whoever it is that plays dice. Um, but uh, uh, if the in, in the Newtonian universe, um, things happen according to well-defined uh, laws which can be written down as differential equations, and they just uh, follow solutions to the differential equations. But uh, uh, the difference that... Uh, uh, the reason why we have we have to face this problem with uh, with quantum mechanics is that if things are quantized, how does it get from here to here if there's no intervening space and no continuous path that takes you from there to there? And uh, this is what the early uh, researchers in quantum theory found. You know, electrons jump and give off uh, radiation of a fixed frequency. Why do they make that jump? And the randomness comes in, in these apparently discrete transitions. In a continuous uh, universe, we would not have run up against this problem. So it's the discreteness in quantum mechanics which seems to be uh, somehow at the basis of uh, why we need to uh, introduce this randomness. If the electron could go through this slit or that slit, uh, well, it has to choose. Uh, if you put a detector there, it does choose. If you don't put a detector there, it doesn't have to choose, so it goes through both. Um, so, uh, in a sense, it's our measurements that uh, make us aware that um, something has jumped randomly, and uh, if we didn't measure, we wouldn't notice. And it, indeed, it might be said, it didn't happen. But this comes back to something that Chiara was saying about randomness, perhaps modelling unpredictability. So there's a actually there's a distinction between unpredictability uh, of an of uh, of the outcome of a single experiment, where you don't really have to involve to you know to bring about the machinery of randomness to just state what that means. You know, the unpredictability of an experiment is just the impossibility of setting up a machine that can predict which outcome will be observed. And that impossibility is a kind of uh, deterministic statement. It's impossible to do so according to the laws. You, viola you would violate the dynamical laws of quantum mechanics if you were able to construct such device. Um, then the uh, randomness issue comes in when you uh, want to model your expectations as to what happens in repeated such unpredictable experiments. And uh, as I said before, we all agree, I suppose, that uh, uh, that's a helpful model. The question is, can that be an adequate, uh, you know, fundamental theory of reality? Is it an explanation for what's going on? And um, my point is that uh, since you can't get out of this 
set of statements about probabilities in order to explain probabilities, uh, that doesn't seem to be an adequate uh, explanation. So, in fact, turns out it's also unnecessary. Um, and uh, so, in my uh, understanding, uh, the randomness is a model, but it's not what is really out there in reality. That's you know what quantum theory without the Born rule tells you, and that's the deterministic theory. Um, and um, let me just say one other thing. I suppose we also agree on the fact that there's nothing unknowable about the universe. So quantum theory, actually in both interpretations, in any interpretation, does explain what's going on. So uh, the fact that there is unpredictability or randomness is nothing we have to apologize for because we have an explanation for you know, why that is. So unknowability uh, is not something that we can infer from quantum theory being su successful. And um, uh, just like you know, unexplainability, etc. So there are different, different um, you know, consequences of the fact that quantum theory introduces this unpredictability in the world. But nothing implies the fact that we can't explain what's going on. In fact, we have a good understanding of what's going on. Um, it's just a counterintuitive. So, is that fair, Peter? If unpredictability applies to a single experiment and randomness is a way of analysing many re repeats of that experiment, since the universe is a one-off experiment, mm -hmm. that may be an argument why randomness doesn't exist in the universe. I, I'd like to take issue with this distinction between unpredictability and randomness. Please go ahead. And let's take the famous Schrodinger cat situation. The cat's in a box and there's a radioactive nucleus which will either decay or not decay in, in the time you leave it before you open the box. And the reason why you're not able to predict whether the cat is going to be alive or not is because the radioactive decay is random. If it wasn't random, you'd know whether the cat was alive or not. So I, I, I take issue with your drawing a distinction between randomness and unpredictability. Well, we, we have a random model of radioactive decay, but if you just take uh, the quantum state which describes a particle which is in a superposition, which is then made interact with the cat in some sort of uh, horrible way, in such a way that the, the cat, poor cat actually, never mind. So if you, if you uh, consider that situation and you just consider the quantum state of the particle which interacts with the quantum state of the cat. Um, just by taking quantum theory without this additional randomness structure, which is a much richer structure on, on, on top of everything, you can say that it's impossible to have a reliable prediction of what the outcome will be. And you don't have to say which, with what probability the outcome will come out, because that's not needed just to say that you can't build a machine that will be a reliable predictor of the observed outcome. So are you saying the radioactive decay is not random? I'm saying we have a random model of that, but it's not needed to talk about unpredictability. So those are two different distinct points. What I'm saying is... Um, when, when you say we have a random model, you mean you've got other models that work equally well? No, but I, I'm saying... So the, the randomness in radioactive decay is a thing, and then there's another issue, which is the unpredictability in quantum theory. And to talk about the latter, you can just set up an experiment and show that it's impossible to build a machine that would work as a predictor. And the reason why it's impossible is not that there is randomness, but the reason is that you would 
otherwise violate the dynamical unitary laws of quantum theory if you had that machine. It's a bit like no cloning theorem, that, that's kind of famous thing about quantum theory. What's the no cloning the theorem? The no cloning theorem is the impossibility of uh, building certain machines that can copy. Okay, in, in, like in classical physics, any two different states can be in principle copied uh, reversibly. Um, whereas in quantum theory, if you pick any two states, you can't build a machine that copies those two states to arbitrary high accuracy. And uh, one can show that because of this reason, there can't also exist a predictor. And the statement about no cloning is just a you know, non-probabilistic statement. Um, and as I said, randomness is much richer structure that you have to put on everything and to talk about radioactive decay, etc. Suppose I put the cat in a box and I killed it by some non-random method. Like, uh, this is a thought experiment, by the way. I don't know. I, I uh, shut off its air supply or something. Okay. <laughs> I would then be able to predict. Yes, you uh, would. I would have lost the element. Right. You would. So, again, I ask, how are you separating randomness and predictability? There seem to go together. There is a difference between unpredictability and randomness, surely. Lots of people toss a coin to make up their minds what to do. The result of a coin toss is unpredictable, but it is not random. If I had accurate enough information about where the coin started off and the forces you exerted on it, you could say exactly where it would come down. And about 30 years ago, the, the, the Santa Fe researchers built tiny computers that would fit into their shoe and they could predict with reasonable accuracy where the roulette ball would finish up. They didn't become rich, they just got banned from all the casinos <laughs> in Las Vegas. Yes, but, but it's not but, the but same. Ra tossing a coin and a radioactive decay are totally different. Exactly so. Yes. One yes. is random, so the other isn't. I agree with you about tossing yes. coins. Yes, well, yeah. I, that's what radioactive I'm saying. Decay. There is a big difference between <laughs> unpredictability and randomness. Yes, but I would say also the difference that we were talking about is yet another thing because yes. uh, you have a different definition. It does of arise even in the case where you have perfect knowledge about the initial state, this unpredictability that, I'm talk that we are talking about. Well, can you have such knowledge? Uh, well, in principle, you do. In if you just take a you know quantum theory without any other additional model on top of that, you you. Th there's nothing, so you could get to that knowledge to arbitrarily high accuracy. Th there's no law that says that you can't. Arbitrarily high accuracy? I don't know Unbounded. if that's even possible in the real world. Well, it is to, in the sense... To a million decimal places. Any finite but not infinite accuracy that you may think Well, um, perhaps the dynamical laws would... Uh, give different outcomes to things that were even very close well, together. Well, I'm asking you the question, assuming that quantum theory is the description of the world. Of course, there may be other laws that we don't know of, or you may Indeed. add some other model on top mm. of quantum theory, in which case you wouldn't have that. Mm. But I was just trying to make the point that there is a distinction between what that difference that you brought about and the one that perhaps we were discussing because we were talking about the ideal case in which quantum theory, um, so we, we, are, we are just talking about an ideal scenario where you know everything about the initial state of the system I, that I, will kill I think the cat. The, if oh, I may be not. wrong, but I think the reason we're disagreeing is you have in mind some theory that isn't textbook quantum mechanics, but which nevertheless has some of the nice properties of that textbook quantum mechanics. Well, it's uh, textbook quantum mechanics. I'm not sure that such a theory exists, that's my problem. 
No, no, it is text of quantum mechanics, but uh, um, you know, it's just the unitary part of it. I mean, in, in textbooks, the, the, the kind of one of the axioms is the you know the, the system evolves according to a unitary operator, which is such and such. A, you know, has these forms, etc. I'm using that thing, and I'm drawing conclusion from that. Before you start attacking, and each note that you would find <laughs> this even <laughs> even if you even if you uh, were to take the Born rule as true. We we could discuss this later, but uh, yes. I'm saying it's it's part of the text with quantum mechanics. What I'm talking about. Yes, let's discuss that later. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I should add we did start discussing this before the debate. Yes, we didn't we did. finish, and so yes, that's we, why we, it's come up. It's an ongoing discussion. Yes. Do you want to hear more from the world's leading thinkers? If the answer to that question is yes, subscribe to iai.tv for unlimited access to thousands of debates, talks, articles, academy courses and live events. Are you bored of the surface level news, politics, sports and entertainment coverage on your newsfeed? Go deeper, get the philosophy behind the news and get the latest big ideas from the world's leading thinkers on subjects at the core of the human condition, life, the universe and everything in between. It's free for the first month. And there's no commitment to pay, so subscribe now to understand the world beyond the surface level. So that there is a difference here between what you're all defining as randomness and predictability or unpredictability. And I, th I think you're all picking different definitions, which is why this isn't converging anywhere. Well, I think that may be so. I, I think I would take randomness in a purely mathematical sense. Uh, whereas unpredictability just means I don't have, well, I don't have enough information or possibly I can never get enough information to tell what the outcome of this experiment will be. I would allow both of those to count as unpredictability. So if, if, if we said that randomness didn't exist, if, there were, if it d wasn't a feature of the world, would you say that that meant that quantum mechanics would be right or wrong? Well, um, as quantum mechanics, as I learned it as a student, couldn't possibly be right if there weren't randomness in the world. But uh, I'm prepared to be corrected on that if there are ways of doing so. I just haven't been, been enlightened on that so far. Okay, Mike, Chiara. Uh, well, do you mean the appearance of randomness? Or so if, or if, a if, deeper if there's so no randomness. I mean, we have the appearance of randomness, and if there weren't such appearance, then we would have a problem with quantum theory in the first place because uh, we would have a problem with unpredictability as well. Right, so for you, randomness is an illusion. It's not really a feature of the universe. Uh, it's a reflection of our unknowingness about something. Not a reflection of our not knowing something is a, is a useful model to make predictions, but we have a deeper explanation which can uh, show how to make that model emerge. And I'm keen on having that deeper explanation, which doesn't mention probabilities, because of that reason that I started the discussion with, that is, probabilities are a closed set of things that you can't get out from. And as a physicist, I always like to explain things in terms of deeper structures. That's what I suppose we do all the time, in some way. Okay, um, and Mike, if, there were, if, ra if the universe wasn't random, if there was no randomness, does this throw doubt on quantum, the way quantum mechanics has evaluated the universe? Yes, I think randomness is a... Uh, I agree with Peter. I think randomness and quantum mechanics go hand in hand. Okay. 
So, <laughs> so we have a diversity of opinion because we have reached the level of, of, of knowledge that's at the frontiers. I mean, this, this is genuinely what we're trying to understand at the moment, which is why there are different interpretations to try and work out what's going on. Theme three. So I'd like to move the debate now from getting to the frontiers of our knowledge to working out the implications of what we've just been talking about. And the implications I'd like to explore is that let, let's assume for a moment that randomness is real, that it is a feature of the universe. It might be modeling um, something or it, it, let's just assume it, it's there. How does it affect us? Do we have any effect on the future if there is randomness there in, in the universe? And Chiara, I'll start with you. Right, so, um, but by the way, even if there weren't randomness, we would have a problem with that question. So I will try to step back in a moment and, and, and uh, uh, you know, my, my view is that before un we can answer properly that question, we have to um, have a better way of modeling things like making a choice, which appear to be uh, uh, you know, quite fundamental in the way we happen to interact with the world. But the question is, is it actually a fundamental feature of, of the world or is it just an apparent thing that we happen to experience? And uh, to answer that question, we've got to understand statements like, you know, uh, Fred chose uh, A, but he could have chosen B. That sort of statement is a, um, what philosophers call counterfactual statement, is about what could have been as opposed to what is or happens. And in physics, we have a fundamental problem with that um, to talk about those concepts um, from a you know, rigorous exact point of view, because ultimately what we'd like to have in physics currently is a theory that says there's an initial condition and some dynamical laws which will say what the universe will do at later times. And even if those laws are probabilistic, um, you know, it's still true that even if you, you know, each, you know, th there may be an uncertainty as to how the universe will unfold, but ultimately there will only be one trajectory which is selected. And again, that clashes with the idea that something could have been otherwise. So my point in this problem is that uh, either in the case that you, you know, both in the case where you have a probabilistic view of the world and in the case where you have a deterministic view of the world, you have to um, sharpen the tools in order to address the question. And the problem is really with the counterfactual element that is in the, in the, in the question itself and agency. Um, so on the other hand, I just want to say that there's a way out of this which doesn't go into dualism or supernatural explanations because well, physics and the progress of science has kind of taught us that there are different levels of explanations that can coexist. And my hope is that we can, you know, make consistent theories that would allow us to uh, understand both levels. That's so do, do, you think we're, do you think we're powerless in determining our own future, or do you think that the, the question itself is too ill-defined to Well, attack? I suppose it's a bit ill-defined, but I, I, I don't think we are powerless powerless and in fact I would like to have an explanation for uh, accounting how you know the knowledge that we create when we make a choice uh, at one level of explanation is uh, to be attribute I mean to be the thing that is um, you know responsible in the explanation for the choice and making that consistent with our understanding of microscopic dynamical laws and I suppose uh, that's what we are you know why we have to sharpen the tools.
Okay, okay. Peter, can I come to you next? Yes, uh, well, uh, this is a very difficult question, I think. I mean, uh, free will and determinism, how are we ever going to resolve that? But, uh, I mean, in a sense, there's some dualism in the way the question is asked. It's as if there is a real me who is making a choice, or at least you're, you're asking if there's a real me who is making a choice other than the me who will actually implement that choice and will do the action that has been chosen. And uh, we don't know what this... Because this is... Now it comes down to a question about consciousness, I suppose. We don't know what it is that is making this choice about what to do in the future. Somehow the choice just gets made. And I, I expect many of you have had the experience that you're faced with a decision suddenly you just know the choice that you're going to have to make. And indeed, coming back to tossing coins, somebody said, if you want to make a decision, toss a coin, not so that you're bound by the outcome, but so that when the coin is in the air, you'll know which way you're hoping it will come down. <laughs> uh, so somehow these choices get made, and we don't understand how they get made. And I think to say that, that I am making that decision is a kind of dualism which I don't feel very happy about. So, we clearly do influence our environment to a huge extent, but exactly how this happens is totally mysterious to me. Do you, do you think it's the case that our future paths are determined in a, in a multiple of ways, and then there's some, some randomness or probability involved in choosing which we follow well, at any particular yes, point? Yes, I mean, uh, Newtonian physics says it's all completely determined anyway. There's, we're just automata, there's nothing we can do. Uh, and um, quantum mechanics at least gives us uh, the idea that there is some randomness or at least some unpredictability and things might go in different ways. But as Chiara says, there's still only one path for the universe, whichever one it happens to choose. But the question is, how do you get from the atom, the radioactive atom choosing whether to decay and kill the cat or not, and me choosing whether to get the 12 o'clock train or the 1 o'clock train. How do you get, how does human consciousness influence the processes of quantum mechanics? Because I think that's what you would need to have to happen if we're going to influence the, the, the future, and I, I do not know what the possible mechanism for that could be. It all becomes rather mystical at that point, I think. Okay, so it's still ill-defined. Do you want to add anything, Chiara? Uh, well, I was just wanted to say that um, uh, there are possibly two questions. One is to how to reconcile the idea that um, the state of our mind when before and after a decision is just represented by the physical um, states that our dynamical laws predict which is what we assume, of course, because um, that's what our mind is made of, is just, you know, stuff that the laws of physics describe. And the fact that uh, there is a way for us to create knowledge, have new ideas, and have a actually a new kind of unpredictability is a bit, bit of a different kind. But there is um, an element of unpredictability in the um, process by which br we bring about new ideas, because, of course, if you could predict those ideas, then they wouldn't be new. <laughs> and, uh, and then there's the point that you made, which is how to make contact between that and certain 
ways in which uh, observers in certain interpretations of quantum mechanics are uh, relevant as to making happen events when they measure systems. I just want to make that point. Clarification. Okay. Mike. Well, I agree that with everything that's been said about the mystery between microscopic uncertainty and human consciousness. It, uh, it's a fascinating subject, but uh, I don't have any insights into it. It's completely mysterious, as Peter said. Um, on a longer time scale, what does randomness and quantum theory and uncertainty mean for the future? You can ask on the cosmological scales, will the final uh, state of the universe be different uh, with our current ideas about quantum mechanics? And one way, and we've only discovered this relatively recently in the history of science, is Hawking radiation of black holes, which is a, a random quantum mechanical uh, probabilistic event. But it means that black holes are not forever. They form and then they eventually disappear. And so if you look billions and billions of years into the future, what will the universe look like? We'll know that eventually all black holes will have fizzled out. And whatever's left, whatever they radiate is what the final state of the universe might be. It might be some very boring, cold gas of massless particles, which is very sort of depressing. <laughs> way to end the, the universe, but that's the way it looks at the moment. <laughs> well, on that note, <laughs> um, I don't think this debate can go any further. So, I just have a quick point about the, the fact that, like a mystery and a secret. So I guess this thing about consciousness, I would like to call it a secret, because mysteries are something that perhaps we you know, are you know, bound to just contemplate and not understand whereas a secret is something we can unlock. And so would you, would you like secret better than... Yes, than I'll, I'll go with secret. Okay, <laughs> let's go with secret then. Okay. <laughs> yes, a point where we can all agree. Thank you for listening to this Institute of Art and Ideas podcast. If you enjoyed this debate and want to carry on the discussion, visit iai.tv. Remember to subscribe and review on iTunes. Let's jump into Pepper's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Pepper play sets. Pepper Pig. Inspiring kid confidence.